Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Most people think of ice cream as a summer dessert, so today's episode might feel like a farewell to warm weather. However, I love ice cream any time of year, so if you're one of those people who thinks frozen desserts require sunshine, then I hope today's guest will help you reconsider. Tyler Malik founded Salt and Straw Ice Cream with his cousin Kim in 2011. They opened their very first shop in Portland that year and now have 19 shops on the West Coast, including two here in Seattle. Tyler is the mastermind behind their distinctive flavors, creating classics like almond brittle with salted ganache and city-specific flavors like the Elm Coffee and Westland Whiskey that you can only get here in Seattle. With the Salt and Straw Cookbook, Tyler shares the secrets to making perfect ice cream at home. He demonstrated his technique in our kitchen in August 2019. Here's Tyler Malik and the Salt and Straw Ice Cream Cookbook. Thank you guys. It's a lot of people. This is very full. Thank you, everyone, especially those of you standing. My name's Tyler Malik. My cousin and I started Salt and Straw in 2011. We started in Portland, Oregon. It's actually kind of funny because we both moved from Seattle to start the company. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> but we started in 2011 and we had this vision of starting a company where people could come in, they could meet their neighbors, we could um, just talk and meet everyone that lives in our community in a safe space. And that was really important to us. And ice cream just so happened to be the perfect vehicle to do that. It was funny because we actually, we had this dream of creating this area where people, like, people were eating food and having fun together. And we didn't know exactly what it was. And I think once ice cream got in our minds, it was just like this excellent kind of soapbox to tell stories from, to bring people together. That's how we drive our flavor creation. I'll talk a lot about flavors, but for me, everything about flavor creation starts with how are we going to present the story and what are we doing with our ice cream to make sure that we're kind of adding a little more good to the world, you know? I love this idea of almost using, you know, the, the fact that we're serving cream and sugar as kind of a soapbox to talk about something really interesting. And so for us at our uh, shop in Portland, we found this really amazing uh, olive oil producer, for example. It's one of the first farms in Pacific Northwest to ever grow olives. I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but, you know, just over, literally over, you know, a dozen years, he's been fostering these olives, and finally they were starting to fruit, and he made olive oil for us, and we were noticing that it has this intense, almost like tropical fruit flavor to it, because I think the olives had to go through so much, like, stress to grow up in, in Oregon um, instead of California, and it just had so much more fruity flavor, it was epic. And we realized that that'd be a cool thing to talk about. So if people come into our ice cream shop, we could teach them about this amazing farm in central Oregon and talk about why that's such a pivotal thing in our agricultural system. We do that with food. We do that with nonprofits. So I work with this really cool nonprofit in Portland called Urban Gleaners. And we often work with them to create flavors of ice cream that are based off of food that was gleaned from often the grocery store, like New Seasons or Whole Foods, food that otherwise would have been thrown away kind of up-leveling it. You know, we're just constantly finding how do we use this ice cream to like tell more stories and create this experience for uh, people to kind of like come together and learn. 
That was the whole point of creating a book. I've been working on this for about five years and it uh, kept on getting delayed over and over again because just needed to be perfect. That was my fault. Um, we wanted to figure out how can we like obviously create really fun recipes that um, people can take home and like learn how to make ice cream at home. But on top of that, how, how can you almost like, I wanted to create a book that was almost a blueprint for people around the country to create their own flavors and their own experiences. So we tried to infuse our own kind of, our mindset into this book. My dream is that someone, you know, is in Detroit walking the farmer's market, seeing this epic berry and they're like, oh my gosh, I can take that berry and use it in the same recipe that's in Salt and Straw's cookbook. That's my dream. Based off of all that, I kind of wanted to show you a little demo here. This is going to be actually really, really quick because that's the whole point of making ice cream, just like keep it simple. I wanted to make olive oil ice cream. This is, in my opinion, the new vanilla. So this should be the most important flavor you make at home. It's the easiest and it's the first recipe in the book. At its core, we start with an ice cream base. And I made this uh, a day in advance. So I usually try to make my ice cream bases multiple days in advance if I can. Or if you make it the same day, it's probably just fine. The thing with making ice cream is it's all a lot like making soup, right? Like if you start with a good stock, like a chicken stock, mushroom stock, beef stock, you can do whatever you want with that. And everyone feels comfortable like putting soup in a pot and like adding salt and chicken and making chicken soup, right? Everyone feels comfortable like putting carrots in there and blending them together, making carrot soup. But for some reason, no one feels comfortable like taking ice cream stock and like putting olive oil in it and salt in it and making olive oil ice cream. And it's really the same thing. It's so simple. And so if you get this base recipe right, everything is gonna work out, I promise you. In the book, you'll see uh, it yields about three cups for one batch. And then my general rule when I'm playing with flavors is I can add up to a cup of any flavor I want. So if I've got a cup of strawberry, blended strawberries, uh, I can put a cup of stra strawberries into that and make a strawberry ice cream. A cup of kale juice and make a kale ice cream. You know, like whatever you can think of, it works really well. So it's really, really hard to mess up and usually it freezes really nicely and makes good ice cream. And if it doesn't, who cares? Try to get eat it faster, <laughs> drink it. This is our, again, ice cream base, sweet cream base. I could put this in the machine, call it sweet cream cream ice cream and just laugh to the bank, but I won't. We have more fun with that. This is a really great olive oil that they sell here, actually. I'd add this to taste. I think uh, with olive oil, with a few flavors like this, it needs salt to bring out that flavor. So this is just a really awesome organ salt. And then I just taste. And if it's missing something, we'll add more, but it's not. That was really good. And then I'll load it in the machine and I'll start kind of explaining what this machine is doing for us. Ice cream base, basically in the intro to the book because it's like the most boring recipe. It's basically a uh, cream, milk, sugar, and then I've got a couple of secret ingredients in there that you'll find out as you dig in there. Three secret ingredients that actually everyone in the ice cream like industry uses, but uh, no one's called out in an ice cream cookbook. So stay tuned for that. To make it all kind of get together, like melt the sugar basically, you have to heat it a little bit and you have to stir it. All that heating and stirring agitates the ice cream, specifically the, uh, the proteins in the milk. So if I let it sit overnight, everything kind of calms down and all the flavors kind of meld. I think of it like uh, making a salsa. Like if you make a salsa and you eat it that same day, it's, pr it's pretty good. But if you let it rest overnight and eat it the next day, like something magic happens. That's what aging ice cream base does for us. On top of that, in my kitchen, we actually make, we'll make like a stock pot at a time. And so if you're like getting into ice cream making and you're gonna have fun with this, I would strongly recommend actually doing like a times four batch, like a 
making four batches of it at once and then batching it out into like quart containers. Um, I use like the, the soup container, deli soup containers that you like pho to go in and then just storing them in your freezer. And the cool thing is this is actually like really cool. I take that, I'll put them in my freezer just like unmade ice cream base and then I put it in my microwave on defrost and then mash ingredients into it and put it in my ice cream machine. Which I know it sounds like a lot of like back and forth, but it's the coolest way to make ice cream. Because if you're ever like walking and you're like, I'm inspired to make ice cream today, you'll automatically have ice cream base just sitting in your freezer. So that's my number one trick in my opinion. It'll last as long as you want it to last in there. So the olive oil, because our ice cream machine is actually like, the blades aren't too sharp, it's actually plastic. It's actually not, it's not blending the olive oil into the ice cream. So it's, you know, like I wouldn't put this in the blender and mix it together, right? I just lightly stirred it together and then put it in my ice cream machine. It's not blending together. So actually what's happening is the freezing function of, uh, of the ice cream is actually like dispersing the olive oil in a really cool way, but it's not actually blending the ice cream with the ice cream mix. Like little droplets of olive oil are being dispersed in the ice cream. And that's the magic of homemade ice cream. You actually can't make olive oil ice cream in industrial machines like um, what like Ben and Jerry's would use because the blades are, it's just all too sharp. It's well, too finely tuned. It would destroy those little um, droplets of olive oil. So you can only make uh, olive oil ice cream in crappy machines, which we just so happen to have in our, in our kitchen. <laughs> So these ice cream machines, I'll talk about this ice cream machine real quick. This is probably what most likely you're going to be using at home. Um, and they work really, really great. This is a machine where there was a bowl that we left in our freezer for about um, ideally 24 hours. We left it for eight hours. So we'll see how that charge goes. And then it's got a motor and a dasher, a blade. In some way, the blade is kind of spinning around, or in this case, the bowl is spinning around and scraping the sides of the ice cream, or sides of the, the bowl. When we're making ice cream, the, the actual like theory of making ice cream is really, really simple. Um, what you wanna do is you wanna somehow agitate the ice crystals as they're being formed. And that is, that in and of itself is the function of making ice cream. So, you know, at its simplest, I don't know if anyone was, you know, at summer camp ever did ice cream in a bag. So you take like a bag of ice cream mix and you put it in salt and ice uh, and then you squeeze it until your fingers fall off. They're so cold. And then your ice cream freezes because you're agitating it as it's freezing. That's what our machines are doing. They're basically freezing the ice cream to the sides of these bowls and then as soon as it freezes just enough it shaves it off and folds it back into the middle of the into the middle of the bowl and it's just doing that over and over again at a very specific speed so this seems slow but this is actually the perfect speed for this machine to be running because we want it to go slow enough for the ice to kind of form on the sides and then you know grow just big enough so that when you fold it in the middle it doesn't melt there's three different types of machines you'll get at home. The first would be this one. This is actually, oddly enough, the cheapest, cheaper than uh, the hand crank machines nowadays. When we first started the company, I got all of my, I got five of these at Goodwill, and um, that's how I started the company. So that's a tip. Their quality is really great. Oh, the other two types of machines, real quick, are the hand crank machine. So it's the same function. Basically, the motor is your arm in that case, instead of this little base and the refrigerant is uh, ice and salt instead of this pre-frozen bowl. The third type of machine would be uh, probably a, a decent amount nicer, the base of like $300, an internal compressor machine. And that's what we, we use in our kitchens now. All we're doing is every single one of these machines, we're freezing the outside, the ice cream is freezing to the bowl, we're scraping it off slowly. When I upgrade to my machines, I've got a five gallon version of that machine, so um, it's just more horsepower, literally more horsepower. That's the only difference between that and you know one of those $300 tabletop machines you get at home. 
they're all kind of doing exactly the same thing. The texture that I pull my ice cream is very, very specific. And this is where, in my opinion, the majority of new ice cream makers are, make their mistakes. Even I'll go to like uh, really nice restaurants and it's, I, you can tell it's a new pastry chef. They overspin their ice cream. Everyone is looking for, you know, like everyone's really scared that this is, they want it to freeze as much as possible in here so that it doesn't like start melting, which is a good fear to have. But I think a lot of people overdo it because what's happening in here is there's a lot of fat being kind of like mixed together and whipped up. And there's a lot of air being pulled into that ice cream. And in my opinion, what makes good ice cream is high fat, but no butter and low air, but not rock hard. So you need enough air so that it's scoopable, but not too much. And you need enough, you need want all that fat, but you don't want it to start whipping into butter. And so I think of it like whipping whipped cream. As soon as it gets perfect and then you put your whisk in it just like that, you over whip it, right? It's the same thing with ice cream. And when you over whip whipped cream, what happens? It starts to get kind of chalky because that butter starts to meld together. It's called butter or fat amalgamation. So the butter starts to meld together and it creates too much butter. And that's probably what you're feeling, that waxiness. It kind of feels like it leaves a film on your teeth a little bit. And then it starts pulling in too much air. And your whipped cream, it feels almost like stiff and airy and chalky kind of. It's because it's getting too much air. So I stop mine. We actually have a very specific uh, technical term in our kitchen. We call it um, Wendy's frosty texture. We'll stop it and look for the frosty texture. It feels really soft. It's goopy. But that's kind of, in my opinion, the perfect texture of our ice cream because I know that it hasn't pulled in too much air and I know that the fat hasn't you know, been jostled too much around. We do every single batch in our kitchen by eye. You just get a feel for it. And every single flavor, every single second, every batch is gonna act slightly differently, but depending on like how our machine is handling, depending on what the air is like, the gods are doing. So it's, it's kind of a fun game. For some reason, vegan and sorbets tend to be more susceptible to over whipping. So I even go slightly low, softer on those. I pull them really early. And so this is still cold and it'll be cold for another, I don't know, 10 minutes. So I'm safe to let it sit here for a second as I let things prep. But ultimately, uh, I want to get this frozen as quick as possible. So again, I try, to, I try to pull science into this. This is 25 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. And ice cream isn't stable until it's negative 5 degrees Fahrenheit. And really, negative 15 is ideal. If you hold your ice cream, at, if you get your ice cream to negative 15 really fast and hold it there at a consistent negative 15 degrees, there's actually studies proven that you could hold ice cream and it won't change in quality ever. Quote me on that. <laughs> For infinity. <laughs> uh, yeah, the water is trapped and held at negative 15 degrees. That's a really, really solid state. And there's no water moving around. Even at negative five, there's so much water moving around that your ice cream probably should be eaten within, you know, a couple months. At zero degrees, your ice cream should be eaten in a couple of weeks. And five degrees positive, you should eat ice cream in three days. You know, so it's a really, really steep curve. And it actually is kind of a... Um, an exponential curve when you look at the temperature effect on, of temperature on your ice cream. In our kitchen, what we try to do, it's actually a barometer of, uh, it's like a scale of quality to see how fast we can get this cold to negative 15 degrees. And my freezer, I've got a very fancy freezer. It can take a pint of ice cream and freeze it in 15 minutes, almost rock hard. The center is still kind of equalizing, but you know, the outside is rock hard and that's good enough for me. In your freezer, it'll probably take more like four hours. 
if you're making ice cream at home, the closer you can get to that 15 minutes, the better quality your ice cream is gonna be. It's gonna just create like a longer shelf life. You're gonna have a better texture and the mix-ins are gonna feel better. Um, they won't soak up as much water um, or they won't kind of like meld into your ice cream as much. So if you want really distinct lines between the caramel and the ice cream, for example, freeze it quicker. There's some tricks to do that. For one, I think the packaging that you put it in is the most important. We use actually, usually uh, paper pint cups, right? These are, this is actually gonna ruin, ruin it for you. This is the same to-go soup cup that you'd get at like Whole Foods just with a handmade sticker on top. <laughs> but they're awesome because they're really thin and it's gonna allow all of the cold air from my freezer to penetrate into the ice cream and freeze it as quick as possible. And then um, opening up a little space in the back of your freezer uh, so that there's airflow around your pint and getting it in there as quick as possible. So adding mix-ins is like, that's our specialty at Salt and Straw. And that's where I think I have so much fun because we try to constantly integrate new flavors and textures. And I want it to be an experience as you're eating it. So I, I try to think of how that all kind of interacts. And so for me, we add in all of our mixed flavorings like caramel, we had a baking caramel in there, candy and chocolate covered pecans, uh, candied crickets, like again, you know, like whatever we wanna add in here, I'll usually add that by hand and by layer. So first of all, uh, you should never use glass because it's, uh, it'll insulate the heat into your ice cream and won't let the cold air of your freezer get in there. But for the sake of de demonstration, I'll, I'll use this. What we do is I'd usually put a little bit of ice cream in here and then drizzle caramel on top and then ice cream and caramel, ice cream, caramel, until I get to the very top. If I'm adding brownies, I'll do ice cream and then like four brownies, ice cream, four brownies. And that way I know that my pint is built specifically to be eaten scoop by scoop and I can kind of control exactly what's in each layer. Yeah? Did you end up um, going through a journey to arrive at not using yolks in the base? Yes and no. So you'll notice we don't use uh, egg yolks in really many of our ice creams at all. I, mean, I think there's two recipes with egg yolks. Uh, in my opinion, egg yolks have a really strong flavor. And sometimes that's a very pleasant flavor if I want like a lemon meringue, <laughs> lemon bar kind of flavor. But when you're going for more delicate flavors like um, lavender or pear or any, you know, like those sorts of things, it's really obnoxious to use eggs. They taste like eggs and that's not good usually. And so we replace eggs with, uh, it's actually a vegan egg replacer that you'll see, uh, it's called xanthan gum. It's really scary because it starts with an X, but it's actually a really cool ingredient. And it's like quite natural. It's like it's a fermented starch and it's really, really easy to use. It hydrates cold and um, there's all kinds of cool things about it. Yeah. yeah. How do you keep your mix-ins from freezing? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about mix-ins in general. So again, I love this idea of getting a lot of texture and flavor into the ice cream. And so um, there's a lot of different ways to control that. And the cool thing is, as we look at the different styles, like I've kind of got a toolkit of different mix-ins that I like to play with. And I think of them as like every ingredient is going to unleash flavor at different times and at different speeds. So if it has a lot more fat in it, then it's going to take a lot longer to give off its flavor. So like a chocolate ganache will probably be one of the last things you taste when you're eating an ice cream. Um, because there's so much fat, it's holding so much cold that it's, it's just going to take forever to reach your taste buds. Whereas like a marshmallow fluff, it never freezes. It's really airy. There's no fat in it. It's going to be the first thing you taste. So depending on what we're using, I love playing with all of those different styles and techniques and trying to get a, 
the flavor story to come through. We actually one time created a flavor uh, with the organ symphony where it was with a, over a minute and five seconds of this piece from Bach. They, uh, it, you put the ice cream in your mouth and as it melted, it, it, told, it sang with every story, with every note. And it, it's because we controlled, you know, like the first thing that you're going to hit is this marshmallow. And the marshmallow is going to like add this um, aromatic to your ice cream. And then, it's, you know, like the last thing you hit is like carrot chocolate ganache and like, is really cool. So typically the number one rule is that it should have an antifreeze of some kind. And this is the same rule with ice cream. Antifreeze, it needs, it can't, you need something in there to keep it fro- from not freezing. So water freezes at 32, right? If you can add some ingredients to uh, decrease that, depress the, the freezing point to like negative five. Okay, there's three main edible antifreezes in the world that we really stick to. There's, all, yeah, all three. Sugar, salt, and alcohol, right? I put vodka in my freezer <laughs> uh, quite often, and it works great. It, it stays cold, it never freezes. You can put sugar syrup in there, it probably, uh, it'll take a long time to freeze. Um, salt will do the same thing, or you put salt on your sidewalks and it melts all that water because it's an antifreeze. And so those three ingredients both are like good for us and bad for us. If I add way too much salt to an ice cream mix, it's gonna keep it from ever freezing because it's a ton of antifreeze. If I add a ton of alcohol, vodka in there, it's gonna take a long time to freeze because I added all that antifreeze. That being said, I need some antifreeze of some kind, which is why sugar-free ice cream is not possible without using something like a sugar alcohol. That's a weird tangent, I'm sorry. I really went down that one. Okay, just make sure there's a ton of sugar, salt, or alcohol in your, in your mix-ins, yeah. Jam is one of my favorite ingredients because jam is, uh, what, like 80% sugar. You know, like if you've made jam, it's like 10 pounds of sugar and like two pounds of berries and you're like, sweet. Um, cool. Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Many thanks to Tyler Malik for visiting us and for bringing so many excellent samples to share with our guests. As always, you can get 10% off a copy of Salt and Straw Cookbook and any other books featured on Booklarder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code PODCAST at checkout. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Laura Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.